This is CHUO 89.1 FM. Welcome to this week's episode of The Mosaic. We're going to take a look at what's going on in Ottawa through in-depth discussion. Whether it's social justice or music and art, we're covering it all to highlight the voices of our diverse community. Today, we take a look at Israel and Palestine, calls for ceasefire, and how some of the conversation is unfolding in Canada. Then, a conversation with CHUO's own Darren Sutherland, host of The Circle. He shares his experience with the show over the years, and the value of radio in oral traditions. We shift gears to a classical fundraiser on campus this evening, then bring you a classic horror film review for the Halloween season. We'll wrap up by looking ahead to the upcoming festivities of the Day of the Dead. Stick around. I'm Lauren Rolston. We've got all that and more coming up on The Mosaic. It's been over two weeks since the war in Gaza started. Israeli officials say some 1,400 people died in the Hamas attack on southern Israel October 7th. Since then, over 6,500 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli bombardments, according to Palestinian health officials. UNICEF is calling for an immediate ceasefire for humanitarian access to Gaza, where half the population is under the age of 18. The agency reports over 2,300 children have been killed in less than three weeks. In a press release issued on Tuesday, UNICEF Regional Director for the Middle East and North Africa wrote, quote, Even wars have rules. Civilians must be protected, children particularly, and all efforts must be made to spare them in all circumstances, end quote. On that same day here in Ottawa, the House of Commons sparred over the CBC's coverage of the ongoing conflict. This comes after a language guide policy from the broadcaster was leaked. The guide discourages journalists from using the words terrorism and terrorists when describing violent actions and those who perpetrate them. Many conservative MPs criticized the stance, saying the October 7th attack should be deemed as terrorism. They've been calling on CBC officials to explain the guide. In a note from CBC Editor-in-Chief Brody Fenlon, he explains the corporation's established policy of attributing the words terrorist and terrorism. He explains they've done this for decades, and other organizations like the BBC and Reuters do the same. The language guide states reporters could seem like they're taking sides if they define an attack as terrorism. Fenlon writes, quote, We bear witness, but CBC News does not itself designate specific groups as terrorist or specific acts as terrorism, regardless of the region or the events, because these words are so loaded with meaning, politics, and emotion that they can end up being impediments to journalism. In House of Commons Public Accounts Committee meeting last week, Conservative MP Rachel Thomas said, quote, The CBC is failing. They're failing the Jewish community. They're failing the innocent lives that have been lost. They're failing Canadians, end quote. Meanwhile, Ontario Liberal MP Ikra Khalid said Parliament shouldn't police a free press. CBC CEO Catherine Tate will appear before the committee next Thursday to discuss her recent appointment as the corporation's most senior leader. Almost two weeks ago, the students of UOttawa voted to end funding for CHUO. The station has been officially broadcasting since 1991 and is home to 50 different shows. They showcase music, culture, and current events in 12 different languages. Darren Sutherland is a host of one of these shows. The Circle is a weekly Indigenous music show. They often cover important current issues, too, and have been doing so for well over 15 years. In light of the referendum decision and the uncertain path forward for the radio station, I sat down with Darren to discuss his journey with The Circle. Here's our conversation. 
Yeah, so diving right into it, you've hosted The Circle for 12 years now. And when, when make me feel old. <laughs> and you didn't have the radio experience beforehand, though. So what got you into that role? Uh, it was uh, the host at the time. I, I'm I'm not I'm not the first host of the circle. Uh, I am the the third. The show was started by Lisa Abel, and then Jocelyn Formsma took it over after. And uh, Jocelyn and I know each other from the community. Uh, she's also Cree. I'm Cree. In case that wasn't already stated. And uh, yeah, I, I, Jocelyn's a, a very busy person, and I guess she she just reached out, took a shot on me to come in and. Uh, guest hosted and when I did it I had you're right absolutely zero experience but uh, I went in with some reassuring words from Jocelyn and a promise that uh, the program manager at the time would come in and uh, give me a hand so he was there with me in the studio and uh, <laughs> he worked the boards I, I mostly did uh, the talking and picked out some of the music and was that like something that you fell in love with right away or is it something that you grew to appreciate I mean it was very fun. Uh, you know, it was, like, I was nervous. You know, I wanted to do a good job, but uh, I didn't think it would be a recurring thing, right? Uh, at the at the time, I thought it was just helping out Jocelyn. And, you know, when she came back, she was like, oh, would you like to come in and co-host? And I was like, yeah, actually, I would like that. And eventually, somewhere down the road, Jocelyn, Jocelyn went to law school and she asked, me if I could take it over and I was like yeah you know I've, I've enjoyed doing this and I'm like yeah I, I, could, I could continue doing it and yeah it was, it was it's some I don't know like the, the question like did I immediately love it I'm like it was exciting yes uh have I grown to love it more over time uh yeah for sure there's like you know you you create just a program that you like doing and then you have people you enjoy speaking with and it makes it memorable like I've got I've got a, I've got a lot of memorable stories like of that have come out of like people I've got to meet doing the show, uh, interviewing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then also in your work doing it, you kind of found out a bit about like your family from the Fort Albany First Nation. Like they also have connections with radio, and you've got generations of family that has connections with radio, and you've written about that. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah. No. Yeah, I wrote an article for Shameless, and it ended up being about radio. <laughs> Uh, it was talking about like oral traditions or radio as oral traditions. And for a lot of indigenous communities, I think we often talk about the importance of transmitting stories in that way. And well, during the research, I didn't, I didn't really know, but I, I remember from my childhood, my mom would always be playing the radio. And, you know, I actually still have that old radio from my childhood in my home. It's really awesome. And I remember like the stories that my mom would tell me about, you know, her mom's home or our family home in Fort Albany. And apparently, you know, like when I like when I started asking more questions about it, she explained that our home was one of the only homes with a radio. And that would that would bring people from the community over for like, you know, they want to listen to music and like they come visit. And we were lucky because if you don't know where Fort Albany is, it's a remote flying community on the west coast of James Bay. So back you know, in my grandmother's day, gosh, that must have been like, and my, my mom being a child, so like that must, been, that must have been the 50s, 60s. You know, there weren't a lot of antennae out there, like strong enough to catch signals that far north. So uh, we were just fortunate that they were able to catch signals from this, like this Air Force base, like a little to the south. 
I'm not an expert, but you know, the signals would go there and then bounce off that antenna and then we would be able to catch a couple of a couple of channels and that draw people out. And uh, I guess the other connection there was my cousin Greg, another person I reached out to after speaking with my mom. And she, like, she said, you should, you should speak with your cousin Greg. He worked in radio for a time, which was an understatement. Like my cousin Greg was apparently part of the, I guess the creation of Wawate um, in the North, which was like, like a Cree language radio station in like around the James Bay. And uh, they would do programming in the language and you know just play a lot, a lot of those old, a lot of those old tunes that we were catching off that off that air force base antenna but um yeah uh, but then that, that was like the 80s or something so yeah I, I spoke with greg a great deal about it but that experience i learned so much about the history of radio in the james bay area that, you know and so much that isn't captured in the article i wrote for shameless but um you know maybe one day i can return to it and uh you know write those write those stories down or maybe more appropriately uh you know maybe do a podcast or something and transmit those uh, uh <laughs> with the oral tradition the, the old the old ways yeah kind of like a, a sequel like picking up where you left off a bit yeah just just like again it just the article had to be i think the web version was like a thousand words and the the print version was like 750 uh, and you know i, I it, it reads well, like I, not to do my own horn. I know I, I'm so grateful for like, you know, my mom and like my cousin Greg for contributing to that and all the other people that helped inform it. it. It does read well. I'm really happy with it. But um, yeah, just I think there's so much more to that, that's, that story or, or stories from uh, the James Bay area. Could be multiple episodes if you wanted to make it a podcast, too. It would be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> It would, it, would, it would be so much more popular if maybe there was like some some murder in the north uh, around the time of the creation. True crime. Creation. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your family like? You got to keep in touch with, with your cousin Greg a little bit and your mom about this kind of topic. What do they think about the work that you're doing on The Circle? My mom is my number one fan. <laughs> my mom is my number one fan. She doesn't live in Ottawa anymore. She, there, she did live here for uh, quite a few years. But now she's back in Fort Albany. Um, but when she was in the city, she would uh, she would like message me after every show, like that was good. I like this song, or I appreciate what this guest had to say. Uh, and and Greg was also um, pretty stoked that there was another another person in our family doing uh, doing radio. That's sweet. I I'm running to the end of my my list of questions, but basically, at the end of the day, it's been twelve years with the circle with CHUO too. And so, at the end of the day, what keeps you going with this position as a radio host? Well, I think it's important to you know make space for Indigenous voices, like whether that's like in TV or on radio. And I think that's kind of the main thing. Like, again, I'm not the first host of The Circle. I'm the third. And the program itself has been running for, I'm not, I, I won't even lie to you. I'm not entirely sure how long it's been in the air, on the air easily over 15 years. Uh, and based on my understanding, that makes it like one of, if not the longest uh, running Indigenous radio programs in Ottawa. And Oh, there's something there's something important about that and I, I i i want to continue you know sharing stories i want to continue talking about you know the the most recent indigenous music that's coming out and 
yeah, I don't know. Just, I think that's important. And until or unless I find someone else who is willing to take over the show, then uh, I'll, I'll continue doing that as long as my, my personal and professional life allows me to. And uh, people can tune in Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Um, is there anything else that you would like people to know about The Circle or anything else you'd like to add? Um, I guess the only thing I would like to say that we haven't really touched on yet is like, you know, thanks or miigwech to CHUO. Like uh, it's it's been the home of The Circle for its entire run. And, you know, I hope it continues to be the home of The Circle. And yeah, like kudos miigwech to uh, CHUO for making, you know, a space uh, for Indigenous voices like within its community and uh, yeah, it's tremendously important. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for taking the time with me today, Darren. No problems, Lauren. That was my conversation with Darren Sutherland from The Circle on CHUO. I'd also like to add for the record that 12 years hosting doesn't make you old. Tonight on the Uwatawa campus, a charity concert supporting the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario, or better known as CHEO. Ottawa-based pianist Andy Sioux will present their debut solo concert with an evening of compositions by Frédéric Chopin. Chopin, considered to be Poland's greatest composer, published his first composition when he was seven years old. Born in 1810, he would go on to perform in elegant salons, composing several different styles of piano pieces as a child prodigy. The benefit concert will be in the Perez Building. Freeman Hall has exceptional acoustics, an inviting ambience, and wheelchair accessibility. There's also going to be a reception afterwards with refreshments. Tickets are available online for $22 and all proceeds are going to Chio. You've been listening to Chopin's Nocturne in B-flat minor, performed by Eduardo Vinuela, and courtesy of MuseOpen. And now, a Halloween-spirited film review. CHUO's Bushra Ben-Hamed will take us on a journey through the 1996 movie Scream. You like scary movies? A line that drove horror into the hearts of moviegoers across the globe. An iconic mask and a genre-defining plot. Wes Craven's 1996 classic horror film Scream slashed its way through the idea of what a horror film can be and provided a new method of frightening audiences everywhere, standing the test of time and new age horror. Set in a small town in California, this chilling and puzzling slasher chronicles the gruesome murders of the townspeople by a masked murderer by the name of Ghostface, who seemingly can't be caught. With everyone of all ages being targeted and no clear pattern, Will the people of Woodsboro ever be free from the horror that terrorizes their homes, even their schools, arbitrarily? And what is more terrifying than a bloodthirsty murderer with no clear motive? In addition to terrifying audiences for nearly three decades, Scream also paved the way for many modern horror films, like Get Out and Final Destination. Scream defied the horror genre in more ways than one. First, it provided a mystery, a whodunit. A level of this mystery surrounds the idea of Ghostface itself. 
Ghostface is not the town freak like in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or some paranormal entity like in The Exorcist. Ghostface is a real person that roams amongst the townspeople, further instilling uncertainty and fear into the characters. This also meant that the killer was a human, giving the characters being hunted a chance at beating him. His humanization also means that the franchise could continue infinitely with a different person behind the mask every remake. Scream also chooses not to honor any of the horror film rules and instead lines them all up and knocks them all down one by one like dominoes and often explicitly draws attention to them as they are being broken. And unlike many of Scream's predecessors, the characters here understood the situation they were in, making them hypervigilant of horror film tropes, which in turn helped them survive in the end. A fun fact about the movie, there is one notable moment of comic relief, and it's when the janitor of the high school is on the screen, named Fred, and dressed as Freddy Krueger. That janitor is the director of the film, Wes Craven, who was also the filmmaker behind Nightmare on Elm Street. Scream is available on Netflix. Happy Halloween! That was Bushra Ben-Hamed on the classic horror film, Scream. Day of the Dead is coming to Byward Market tomorrow. The community will be gathering this weekend to honor the lives of deceased loved ones. The Mexican holiday welcomes their souls back for a reunion over food, drink, and celebration. This often sees sugar skulls, marigolds, and candle-lit altars for the departed. Highlights in Ottawa will include live mariachi performances, a Latin jazz concert, authentic Mexican cuisine, tequila tasting, and folkloric dancers. A Day of the Dead parade will be going on Saturday at 3.30, with an artisanal market lasting all weekend showcasing arts and food. And that's it for this week's episode of The Mosaic. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and previous ones on cho.fm. Music for The Mosaic is provided by Halizna. I'm Lauren Rolston, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>